0: All right, hello and welcome to the Clipping Chains podcast from clippingchains.com, where we are funding the adventurous life. This is your host, as usual, Chad Andrews. And hi, how are you? All right, today on episode 56, I'm here solo, all alone today, with a reflection on three years of financial independence. In truth, the time frame for reaching financial independence is somewhat arbitrary and depends on how the term is defined. We crossed the threshold of the 4% rule quite a while before I left my corporate job as a geologist in early 2020, just before the world flipped upside down with the arrival of COVID to the US. And so as an aside, many of you will be familiar with the 4% rule whereby once an individual or family has saved 25 times their annual expenses and some sort of asset generating a return, traditional work becomes optional. However, before either of us were willing to walk away from a job, we were looking for an initial withdrawal rate in the range of 3.25% or less, okay? Many of you will know that I have some questions on the 4% rule, but you won't find those discussions here today. I did not want to title this post three years of early retirement because regular listeners will know that I do not in any way consider myself retired. In fact, many might be surprised by how much time I spend doing something resembling work. I'm inclined to believe that I'm on a good path with balancing work and life, but as with most lived experiences, only time will tell. I believe financial independence is not about walking away from problems or challenges but instead about providing flexibility and freedom to choose the challenges and problems we introduce into our lives. And that's all I have for today. This is a written post on the blog as well, so if you'd like to see some photos or read this thing instead of listening, head on over to the link in your show notes for the original post there. So without further ado, let's take a look at some of these key lessons from three years of financial independence. One evening, circa 2011, I sat over dinner with my future wife in our small and sweaty Houston, Texas rented bungalow. I was and still am an occasional cheap bastard, so the air conditioning was almost certainly set to engage on an as-needed basis, far from anything resembling comfort. During downtime at work, I was scouring numerous free WordPress blogs documenting the travels of zealous climbing dirtbags. They were camping and climbing and making whatever money they needed along the way. People were even starting to live and travel in vans, something I associated with 60s and 70s surfer culture. I wanted that life. At this point in my late 20s, I was maybe barely a year into my career as a geologist in the oil and gas industry. But I could see the writing on the wall. This would not and could not be my career for the next 35 to 40 years. I could not imagine it. In fact, at that moment, I couldn't see myself lasting my target three to five years until I expected to return to school for a career in academia. And there was this new problem. I'd kind of grown obsessed with this new hobby of rock climbing. Twelve years later, I finally found a very different path to a life of freedom, if such a thing even exists. After three years of financial independence, what follows are some of my key lessons I've learned along the way lesson number one travel is great to a point point. one of the key priorities of those seeking retirement sabbaticals or even long periods of vacation is to travel and for good reason travel notably international travel has provided some of the most insightful beautiful scary embarrassing frustrating, and bowel-testing experiences of my life. Nothing compares to the excitement of pulling off the driveway for a road trip. Or, even better, the childlike giddiness of sitting in the international terminal of an airport with my miniature little head pillow wrapped around my neck, thinking of that cute dinner tray of cardboard replica cuisine I'm about to get somewhere over the eastern seaboard. But travel means the most when the experience is novel. Once travel becomes too regular, in essence life itself, the inevitable grind starts to wear me to the bone. On the road. Of the approximately 36 months since I've left my job, I've spent in excess of 13 months, or nearly 40% of that time, away from something resembling a home life. In one 12-month period, we traveled approximately 50% of the year. In the process of all this travel, we logged roughly 40,000 miles seated on our asses in a car seat. And, And my QL muscles were talking. Trust me. For us, that schedule is just too heavy. At my corporate desk under incandescent lights in 2019, I thought it entirely possible that we'd love life on the road so much that we'd perhaps pursue it indefinitely. Exclamation point. There are, however, limits to life on the road. And we found our limits, but your mileage may vary. In the future, I still hope to spend upwards of several months per year traveling. Without a doubt, the ability to take impromptu midweek trips and or stay in a city or town for a month is one of the absolute blessings and privileges of financial independence. It really is. I'd have trouble trading that out. That said, I feel burdened by how much of the world and even my own country I haven't seen and will probably never see. There's just so much out there. So just like that email inbox, we will never clear. I'm slowly learning to accept that trying to do and see everything is a fool's errand. One of the best parts of having a home base is the ability to focus on meaningful work, which leads me to my next lesson. Lesson number two, work is great to a point. As I've recently discussed, one of the key elements of contentment is a balanced life between work, recreation, and rest or leisure. We get that, right? No new news. When I quit my job in early 2020, I thanked my lucky stars that I'd already been working on this website for the preceding year and a half. There was a system in place for a sense of purpose and duty in absence of traditional work. And that's a big problem for people who leave work, whether they're early retirees, traditional retirees, and certainly for those that have been laid off or unexpectedly without work. It's a big problem. And with the pandemic lockdowns and market meltdowns close on my heels, there was plenty of fodder for posts such as those reminding us of the shocking headlines of the 2008 financial crisis. Plenty to write about in early 2020. Over time, my interest in writing about personal finance has waxed, but mostly waned, considerably, honestly. Starting the podcast has helped to kind of breathe new life into the project, but I'd be lying if I tried to tell you that running this website is a dream every day. Readers and listeners assume I have a passion for the nuts and bolts of personal finance. But here's a secret between me and you. I actually don't really care about money that much. Don't tell anyone. But I mostly care about living a good life, and good money management is simply an unavoidable element of that pursuit. None of us get to escape dealing with money. But seriously, the secret is between me and you. Jobs are still jobs. One of the key lessons from my first year of financial independence was that all jobs are jobs. And I feel it's worth reiterating that point this year. It's been said that, beginning roughly in the 1980s, a narrative formed around the idea that children should be building passions and following our dreams. Now, I gotta say, I can't find any studies demonstrating parental life advice from this period. But, if this narrative is real, it honestly makes sense in the context of a progressing world. As science and technology improve the human condition, we should perhaps expect the definition of work to favorably evolve as well. But there's one problem. If we expect too much from what work should be, believing that any economy can supply the perfect job for each of us, we risk believing that we should have dream careers. We begin to harbor expectations of work feeling easy, natural, or oozing with passion and meaning like a late-fall peach. As such, when we inevitably discover the realities of work, we are destined towards dissatisfaction. Why? Because work is work. What really drove me to walk away from my job? I've been forced to think about this a lot. You know, I have to wonder why I decided to leave a cush career that paid very handsomely, had considerable room for professional growth in a great city. Am I just another stereotypically spoiled millennial brat who simply suffered from the common ailment of inflated expectations? Did I expect that life wouldn't be hard or wouldn't be a grind? I wonder. Anyway, (laughs) I can now safely say that the work I'm doing, albeit hard every day, is something I'm mostly excited about most of the time. And folks, If you have something that you are kind of excited about, even some of the time, hold on to that for dear life. I'm serious. If you have a job that's only okay, but allows for time with the people you love and the hobbies you enjoy, keep it. I'm serious. There's not necessarily a better life without work. Careers and relationships, or anything else meaningful for that matter, don't flourish without sometimes considerable struggle. I am learning the power of commitment and the beauty of unhurried progress and craftsmanship. It's slow. It's occasionally frustrating and demoralizing. And because of all that, it's worth it. Lesson number three. Time to reflect is great. To a point. The ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle mused on the key pillars of meaningful life, a concept known as eudaimonia. According to Aristotle, the eudaimonic life is an active, inquisitive, contemplative, and involved life. When you write for a day job, as I do, (laughs) from a house without cable television or children, surrounded by traditional retirees with lots of flags, (laughs) you magically find sufficient time for satisfying Aristotle's quest for quiet contemplation. In last year's seven lessons from two years of financial freedom, I noted that wherever you go, there you are. I once blamed so many of my problems on my pesky job, but without that job, I was forced to blame those same problems on, well, me. Problems over feelings. My all-time favorite humorist, David Sedaris, In an interview on writing said, and I'm quoting now, I don't like hearing about people's feelings, but I love hearing about people's problems. If someone breaks up with someone, I'm right there. All the details, delighted. But when I'm emoting, it feels like someone should be up there with a little violin. It's everything cheap in the world and wrong in the world. Hmm. Well, let's talk about problems. I've found that I'm a driven busyness addict who doesn't know how to relax, struggles with expressing love, and is independent to a fault. I'm also moderately narcissistic, a trait that I apparently share with just about everyone. For years, kind of sort of unknowingly, I put my desires, especially climbing, on the front burner of life with the gas on high. In doing so, I was naturally less concerned with the lives of those around me. And you can get away with that kind of selfishness for a while. But buddy, (laughs) keep digging that hole and the walls will start to cave in on you. That said, I can make pretty good spaghetti carbonara, can sear the shit out of a piece of meat, and I rarely miss getting the bin out to the curb on recycling day. So you need not tune your tiny violins just yet. The opportunity for contemplation is perhaps my most prized gift of financial independence. It's easier than ever to live in a self-made bubble, avoiding uncomfortable truths, where our treasured biases are readily confirmed. And I did, for years. I kept myself so busy that there was no time, perhaps by design, for contemplation. But I can't be, and won't be, happy by avoiding these uncomfortable realities. In truth, you know, I actively avoid the H-word, happy. Because, you know, it's a fairly trite sentiment and misleading human condition that, in my experience, can't be sustained. For instance, heroin can make you happy. can make you have a great time for a little while. Contentment, on the other hand, engenders a more profound state of acceptance. I'm coming not to accept my flaws, but to accept that I am flawed. I've spent four and a half years building a website and podcast centered around my strengths. Money management, organization, productivity. To find more meaning in my life, I'm going to have to squirm a little bit. So stay tuned. I'll keep squirming. Maybe we can squirm together. It'll be fun. What's that game where everyone's squirming on the floor when they're bent over, putting their hands on shapes on the floor? Anybody? I don't know. Contemplation is so important. But if we just sit at home and think too much, we create new problems. We need to be involved with others, which brings me to my next lesson. Lesson number four, community is just great. I took for granted the seemingly insignificant social reps at my old job. I wasn't close with many of my coworkers, and I honestly didn't give a damn about the Broncos, But I now realize how much I learned and grew from interacting and problem-solving with smart people from a diverse selection of backgrounds and value systems, people who were different from me. The vast majority of my social life today revolves around climbing. And don't get me wrong, this climber tribe, you guys know it's a New York-style cheesecake slice of life, man. It's good eating. That said, those relationships have a tendency towards being transactional or ephemeral. Here are a handful of interesting trends on friendship, and a lot of these link to studies you can find by following the original post or following the link in your show notes, but here's the first one. Having a strong friendship may improve well-being more than having strong family connections. So, my wife and I love each other, but we need more. Number two, close friendships are difficult to maintain when we move often and move far. Perhaps no surprises there. I've lived in seven cities and six states. I haven't always packed up my friendships with the coffee table and dining set. Number three, being honest about our problems is a secret to friendship. We are fooling exactly no one by pretending to have life sorted. See the contemplation section above. Some of my favorite moments in recent years were spent talking about the honest and inevitable struggles of life with friends like the clear and present dangers of single-ply toilet paper. (laughs) But it's something about being a little older and a little wiser, but I'm realizing I still lack deeper relationships. This continues to be, by far, my number one, quote, to improve area on the ledger of life. Apparently, this sentiment is widespread and hardly unique to early retirees, despite improvements in so many aspects of the human condition, loneliness, especially for young people has been on the rise for decades across the globe, according to a meta-analysis of 345 studies that was published in 2021. And that's data up to 2019, which is pre-pandemic. Lots of studies are suggesting it's only gotten worse. So while media terms such as loneliness epidemic, you know, quote-unquote, these are almost certainly exaggerated and probably taken too far, it is a trend worthy of collective soul-searching. Anyway, let's talk about climbing. Lesson number five. Climbing is great, to a point. My original goal of financial independence, as silly as it now sounds, was to live the life of a professional climber, but with the obligations of a teenager off on summer break. (laughs) I hope to climb outside as much as possible, you know, focus on high-quality rest, but without the pressures of sponsorship or the need to actually be elite at the craft. I could just be kind of mediocre, but live that life. After three years of full-time outdoor climbing, I've found I can muster about six weeks of sustained focus on hard climbing before I want to kick a wall, but usually I'm too tired to do it. My body starts to hurt, my elbows and shoulders are talking, and honestly, tying it at the base of a route starts to feel like a job. I don't know, maybe you guys have been there. I'm prone to wrapping my self-worth in performance, and that's in sport or otherwise. I just, that's just what I do. The key for me has been to take my foot off the gas and embrace a fun first doctrine toward climbing. I still project climbs, and when I say project, I mean more than three sessions on a router boulder problem, kind of a rough definition. So I still project climbs, but mostly because I want to, and less often because I feel I need to. The scary part of this statement, and I wrote this last year, so still ongoing and further evidence of our ability to self-manipulate is that five years ago, I would have written the same thing. I would say I was on that path. So, a need to achieve pushed me towards ever higher grades, regardless of whether that pursuit was healthy. Generally speaking, and not without exception, my goals have shifted to prioritizing time with good people in beautiful places. I try, emphasis on try, I try to take full stock of the settings, cloudless blue skies, contrasting with stark gray limestone or burnt orange sandstone, or further afield, milky blue inlets, lush forests, smells of organic decay and fog, right? Try to take in my surroundings, kind of forget about the driven side of things and the goals and the objectives and just be like, wow, this is, you know, this is, this is beautiful here. That's, what, that's why we started climbing, right? That's why I started climbing. And, you know, and I thoroughly enjoy the social outlet at the crags and boulders, and I love learning about all of your lives. Like, I've been having a blast out, you know, desert, sandstone, bouldering this winter, just out being social and just kicking it with people and asking questions and learning about each other. Like, that's been so fun. With this attitude, I've actually found climbing much more enjoyable and sustainable. And perhaps either paradoxically or, I don't know, maybe unsurprisingly, I've continued to slowly and often imperceptibly improve. It's not always noticeable, but it has been happening. Only rarely do I attempt to push the upper end these days. I'm not going for next level red points or whatever or on sites. I just, you know, I've just grown familiar with my old friends, self-loathing and neuroticism who appear like groupies once the beta is dialed and I'm still falling. So here's the key lesson for me. The anticipation of the thing is greater than the thing. So why not spend less time anticipating and more time enjoying? (music) Financial independence and life 12 years later. In my late 20s, I was strongly conflicted between career and adventure. In my late 30s, today, I'm still often conflicted between career and adventure. (laughs) It's the journey or something, right? The achievement of financial independence has been empowering in so many ways. You know, I can design my schedule, climb as much or whenever I like, pursue the kind and amount of challenge I desire. And Monday morning discussions of Bronco games have declined nearly to zero. But here's a reality to consider. The kind of achievement-based, driven individuals that often fill forums and frequent personal finance blogs will likely struggle to close the valve on the achievement hose. I find this especially true for those who achieve financial independence early, say mid-40s or younger. While most of our peers are busy in the peak of their careers, we might find ourselves desynchronized with society. Being desynchronized makes us feel we are on the outside of the herd looking in. You know, I felt that way at times until I showed up to the crag on a Wednesday and thought, how are there so many people here? There are no rules to financial independence. For those that achieve financial independence but stay at a, you know, good enough job, these points are moot. Friends, family members, and peers are none the wiser. My corporate job didn't feel good enough. But to this day, I still wonder if I was suffering from some sort of arrival fallacy or impact bias. Perhaps I saw the finish line of early retirement as the elixir to all my ails. My wife happily returned to her job after barely over a year away. You don't have to retire, there are no rules. However, even if I did suffer from the impact bias, I honestly have no regrets about the work-life balance I've built in the last three years. My work gives me meaning and purpose And it introduces me to the wonderful people like all of you. Seriously, you guys are the best. So thanks so much for being here. And I look forward to another year of learning and growing together with all of you. Keep asking all those great questions, guys. I appreciate it. I want to remind you or let you know for the first time that I write a weekly newsletter that has really become popular in recent months. I put a lot of things in there that aren't deserving of their own post online, such as books I'm reading, various articles as it relates to personal finance or life, sometimes some music, sometimes not, a little bit of everything that keeps you on your toes. It is not just a notification of new posts. You don't need that. I want to add some flavor. And so you can get that there each week. Head on over. Put in your email over at clippingchains.com. It is free. You can unsubscribe at any time. All right, guys. I hope you have a fantastic week. See you next time.